I'm uh, going to pick up where I left off last week. Our gospel reading was from the book of Mark, where John and James, two of Jesus' disciples, asked Jesus for a special favor. Do you remember that favor? We want to be in charge. When you come into your kingdom, let one sit on your right and one on your left. And so, repeating a few of those verses, I'll read today from the message translation, a grateful nod to Eugene Peterson, who produced the message. Peterson died this week at the age of 85. He'd been a writer, a teacher, and a preacher for 60 years. And he puts it like this. You observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, Jesus said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must be what? Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Last, that's right. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. And then to give away His life in exchange for many who are held hostage. A little power goes quickly to their heads. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? That's why God will never let me win the Powerball. The name says it all, doesn't it? Powerball. Win a lot of money, gain a lot of influence, and you weld a lot of power, and I'm not so sure I could handle it. Could you? I know you would like to try. But could you really have power and sense at the same time? Not many people can. Lord, an example from my own life and a confession of my sin today. Cindy once... Brought a, bought a piece of furniture from a thrift store. More than once, actually. It happens many, many times. But this one time in particular, uh, she bought this piece from Haven House. And uh, Haven House does great work. And I know a lot of our folks volunteer there. They've been helping young men get sober and kick their addictions for years. And when you buy something there, you help them out and... For a decade, a simple faith has been supporting their ministry financially. And Cindy bought this piece of furniture and gave me very clear instructions. This is what I bought. Pick it up on Monday. Here's the manager's name. Here's the note. So I lined it up on my calendar. I borrowed a neighbor's truck and went down to get this piece of furniture. I walked in just as happy as a lark. And I said, good morning to the young man behind the counter. My wife bought a piece of furniture and I'm here to pick it up. And the young man at the desk said, Oh, well, I'm sorry, our warehouse is closed on Mondays. And I smiled and I produced the receipt and the note and I said, Well, you know, here is the receipt and if you look right here it says, Pick up on Monday. And the young man turns to a supervisor with my receipt and they chat for a minute. And the supervisor comes back and says, I'm sorry, sir, we don't open the warehouse on Monday. And I look over his shoulder, and there in the hallway of the warehouse is the piece of furniture. It's sitting right there. And I said, smiling, well, friend, there it is. You don't have to open the warehouse on this Monday. It's right there in the hallway. So if you would just help me with it out the front door, I'll be on my way. No one works in the warehouse on Monday, he said. 
And I said, you're working today. And my neighbor gave me his truck today. And the receipt says, pick up the furniture today. I'd like to have it today. Well, I kept getting stonewalled, so I did what any of you would do. With a smile that was quickly withering away, I said, I need to speak to the manager. They go and get the manager, and I go through the whole sordid tale one more time, just holding my hat in my hand, sugar would melt in my mouth, convinced that he would see the sheer stupidity of holding a $75 piece of furniture hostage, already paid for with a borrowed truck in the parking lot, and a half a dozen well-bodied young men to help who were now all standing around watching this conversation. And I knew that my silver tongue had convinced him of the error of his ways. I saw it on his face. He cracked. And he realized we should load up this furniture. And at the last minute, he hardened and said, I'm sorry, that would be against our policy. Now, it is not my natural constitution to be contrary or antagonistic. Sarcastic, yes. Playful, yes. Mischief maker, yes. But generally speaking, I'm a nice guy. Just ask around. I'm a nice guy. I lost my mind. Monday mornings aren't always good for me after Sundays. I'm a little tired, a little irritable. Maybe I hadn't had enough coffee. Maybe my blood sugar was out of balance. It doesn't matter. But you, do you know what I said to them? Standing right there in the shadow of that $75 piece of furniture already paid for, mind you, with a borrowed truck in the parking lot and a half a dozen well-bodied young men to help me. Do you know what I said? Do you know who I am? I didn't stop there. I wish I had. I don't remember every word of what I said, but it went something like this. <laughs> My wife shops in this store every week. And I promise you, she will never do so again. Nor will anyone else we know. My church has sent you thousands of dollars over the years. Thousands. And so help me God, you will not get one more red sand if I have anything to do with it. If this is how you treat your best partners who support you, I'd hate to see how you treat someone who just walks off the street. So you can keep the furniture and you can keep the $75 because it's the last donation you will ever see with my signature on it. Now wait, wait, wait. And out the door I went. Now, did you know that when your face is in the paper every week and your wife... Cindy McBrayer is tagged to a piece of furniture. It doesn't take long with something called Google to track down who that was that caused the scene. Charles, the founder of Haven House, calls me. He leaves me a hundred messages apologizing, offering the armoire for free. I went back down there to that young associate, that supervisor, and that manager a couple days later, and I said, now let me tell you something else. I was a real jackass, and I am so sorry. 
worship. I'm sorry. It was wrong for me to speak to you the way that I spoke to you, and it was wrong for me to use the position that I have to try to muscle you. And I apologize. Well, do you still want the armoire? Yeah, I got a truck if you'll help me load it up. And just so you know, the checks never stopped leaving here to go to them. No, don't do that. They were never interrupted. My wife still shops there, and so do all of our friends, and I hope you will too. And though I swore I would never step foot in that place again, I have, and I can vouch for it, because the last time I was there, Diane Olive saw me. (laughs) Now, why do I tell that silly story on myself? Because that's how easy it is for your ego to get in the way. And I don't think... I'm the only one with such a story to tell. We could just line up for days, couldn't we? In those moments of frustration, when our time has been, we feel, taken advantage of, when we're not treated with the respect that we think we deserve, it's easy, just as Jesus says in the text, to start throwing your weight around, even if you're a lightweight. You don't have to be an elected official. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be well connected. You don't have to hold any title at all for a little power to go to your head. That is the way of the world. That is how governments and economies and societies operate. To put some muscle to it to get what you want. But we are called to live by a completely different standard. To take on a radically different way of life. Upside down power. The leader will be the servant. The first among you will be the slave. So like James and John and Ronnie, when we start trying to seize a place of power or advantage, we have already forgotten our place. When we try to muscle or manipulate others, We have lost our way. When we play the power play, we have already lost the game. So my concern today is this. In a world that is dominated by domination, by power, by cutthroat tactics and stepping on others so long as you get yours or keep yours, how then shall we live? The world is going to do what the world is going to do. That's just how it is. That is the reality around us. And no matter how Christian our world claims to be, the world will never adopt the way of Jesus as its own. That's up to us. Because we are a different society planted within this one. One shaped by the sacrificial, life-laying down, self-emptying way of Jesus. How do we live in this world? Well, it probably comes down to something an old-timer said years ago to me when describing something difficult. He said, it's like two porcupines making love. It can be done. But you have to be real careful. And that's what it's like when you're dealing with power. A Pauline phrase comes to mind from the Ephesians. 
The King James Version of the Bible. Walk circumspectly. What a great King James word. It literally means tread as if you are walking on ice. So when it comes to power and being engaged in a world that operates exclusively with power, when we enter this world, we do so treading lightly because it is a terrible slippery slope to fall off that razor's edge of keeping your balance and you tumble down the hill and you're playing the world's game by the world's rules. This suspicion of power, this relinquishment of it, and a willingness to serve and to sacrifice is at the core of most everything controversial I have ever said. And I didn't even realize that to this week. I've been asked before, why do you say the things that you say? And I think 48 years into this journey, maybe I'm starting to figure it out. When I wrote Leaving Religion Following Jesus, I was accused of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. All you're doing is attacking the church and criticizing Christianity. No, 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 no. I was critiquing the systems and the organizations of religion that keep people trapped in legalism and fear. It was a criticism of power. When I wrote the Jesus tribe and people told me I should be interred at Guantanamo, <laughs> I wasn't kicking the country of my birth. I was contrasting how worldly empire comes up against the otherworldly empire of the kingdom of God. When I wrote How Far Is Heaven, some said I'd quit believing in the afterlife. No. I am simply convinced that the gospel is most relevant to the lives we live today. As we have so little information about the future, but we have today. And today we live lives of love, service, and sacrifice. Accepting and identifying with the least of these. And when I have written and spoken about nonviolence, it wasn't to say that in the face of evil, that the role of the Christian is simply to lie down and die with our virtuous principles intact. It was to say that our way of living has to be shaped by Jesus. Our way of being and living in the world has to be Christ-centered so that our first reaction to violence in this world is not to reach for the levers of power to correct it because usually the levers of power are shaped like a pistol or a trigger. It's taken years to understand what even I myself have been trying to say. And based on what you've already heard today, it's obvious I'm a work in progress. But let us try to progress. Let us aspire to live like Jesus by rejecting coercive power, by being cautious of any invitation to take over anything, by tiptoeing on the thinnest of ice, as it were, when we are engaged in the public arena. So if you are in the corporate world or you own a business, conduct it in such a way that it serves others, not just enriches you. If you're a manager at a place of employment, don't squash change, change that might make you uncomfortable if that change is good for the people that work, quote, beneath you. 
If you are the president of your HOA, <laughs> be the best one you can be. And break the stereotype of so much I talked about last week. If you run for office, be oh so careful. Those with the best intentions can be so polluted. And do what is right and what is just. And if they vote you out the next term, then leave with a clear conscience. You don't have to play by the world's rules. As a Christian, you shouldn't. Serve where you can serve. Take the side of the downtrodden because you yourself are a servant and a slave. Refuse the limelight. Don't take advantage of your position. And if you do, go back and apologize. Always, always be suspicious of those who wish to manipulate others. Question entire systems and structures that keep people subjugated or in their place. Be wary of those who offer you a seat at the table simply for your agreement, your vote, or your silence. Never ever forget that Jesus came first and foremost to bring the good news to the poor, to proclaim captives to be released, that the blind would see and the oppressed would be set free. And that requires a sacrificial position, often over and against the power brokers of this world. It requires an upside down way of living. Probably my greatest teacher in this regard is a French theologian, philosopher, sociologist named Jacques Ellul. He was a colorful man who wrote 60 books in his lifetime on everything from technology to religion. And as a young man, he was part of the French resistance during World War II. And for his work saving Jews from the Holocaust was awarded the title Righteous Among the Nations by Yad Vashim in 2001. The highest honor a Gentile can receive from that country. And even as I speak those words today, our prayers and our hearts go out to the people in Pittsburgh, the victim, victims of that awful act of anti-Semitism and hate. His running conclusion, Jacques Ellul's conclusion, through all of his life and all of his writings remain the same. Whether it is a nation, a church, a denomination, a political party, a business, a place you work, these should never be praised or feared, but they should constantly be questioned and challenged. And how does one challenge the powers that be? Elul says this, As a Christian, one must participate in the world, for we have no choice. But we do so to confront the world, for worldly power tends to only grow stronger. It must encounter a radical negation by those who neither wish to conquer nor use the power for themselves. We cannot delude ourselves with the vain hope of completely destroying the powers that be and building an ideal society in this current world. No. The solution is a transformed humanity. We Christians call it conversion. 
that enables us, and listen to this, to live with others and to serve others without attempting to control, harm, or manipulate them. Jesus chose this life of non-power, radically so, and that is the very definition of Christian love. I could talk for the next several hours about that one paragraph. It is so weighty. It is so true. But it's also so technical and so philosophical. So let me tell you a story instead. This is a piece I wrote that's coming out in a couple days. You get it early today, so you don't have to read it if you see it. When Reese Harrison arrived at his dental office in Lynn Haven, Florida, the day after Hurricane Michael made landfall, the devastation was beyond his imagination. Dr. Harrison's building was intact, but his neighborhood looked like it had been carpet bombed. As his neighbors began to emerge from the wreckage of their homes, Harrison did what any southern boy raised right would do. He fired up the grill. There was work to be done. And no one can cut trees, place tarps, assist the wounded, or haul debris without a good meal. It was a dozen shell-shocked locals at first, eating hamburgers and hot dogs and whatever could be salvaged from freezers that were quickly thawing from having no electricity. Then it was a few dozen people. Then hundreds. Then those who arrived as the first chainsaw brigades. When the official relief services rolled in, Harris's good graces extended to them. He pointed Red Cross and the Salvation Army to the worst neighborhoods. He fed National Guardsmen and he raided his dental office to supply FEMA with pens, papers, tables, and chairs. The presidential motorcade arrived in Lynn Haven on the morning I first met Reese, descending on the relief station with an army of photographers, media, and swarming Secret Service agents. I thought about the irony of it all. A man the entire world knew was handing out relief goods collected by a man that no one but his neighbors would recognize on the street. And when the flashbulbs all faded and the stone-faced officials with acronyms printed all over their shirts had bustled away, Dr. Reese Harrison remained. He and his collection of compassionate partners, many in this room right now, continued to run the grills, coordinate volunteers, and manage the heaps of bottled water, toiletries, and donated goods. It's this way in every community after every disaster, from Lynn Haven to San Juan and Cape Hatteras to Reading. Official help is needed, and such assistance is invaluable, bringing long-term support, widespread awareness, and order to desperately chaotic situations. But it's the unofficials who save the day. It's the volunteer firefighter who takes to the front lines before the first professional is on the site. It's the helpful neighbor risking life and limb to pull a stranger off of a roof in the middle of of a flood. It's the church ladies turning out casseroles for evacuees as fast as their ovens will bake them. It's a dentist like Dr. Harrison, temporarily unable to practice his craft, who saves an entire neighborhood It makes a lasting difference. A mentor once told me 
that most people feel like they need permission or authorization to do any good in this world. But that's not true. You don't have to know anything about anything to change the world, Michael Bonder said. The people who just show up are the game changers. That's what we need. People who will show up ready and willing to serve. I couldn't say it any better myself. And thankfully, Dr. Harrison could not have lived it any better either. So may we all aspire not to heights, but to depths that we would humble ourselves and serve others in a world that probably needs that one thing more than anything else today. May we pray together.